Hi, everyone. It's been a while, but we're back. Those of you who listen to us at Saturday School know that we like to take you back to the past to learn about classic Asian American films. But these three last episodes of our season, we're taking you to what feels like the distant past of December 2019, pre-coronavirus in the U.S. So if it sounds like we are talking about old movies with no reference to the current strange situation we're all in, it's because, this, yeah, this is audio that was recorded before coronavirus became a thing in the U.S. Before we all started working from home and quarantining ourselves. But um, as they recently said on the Film Comment podcast, in times like this, all old movies are new movies. New movies are old movies. There's no sense of what a new release is anymore anyway. So what better time to look into the archives of Asian American cinema? We'll catch up a little bit more with you guys in the next episode. But in the meantime, we hope you're staying safe. And here's Daniel Henney as a little distraction from a pandemic. (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I wish I knew how to follow that up, but that's perfect. I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Welcome back to Saturday School. This is our sixth season, and we're talking about Asian films about Asian America. And we took a little bit of a hiatus because we're not very good Saturday School teachers. No, we're not. (laughs) Well, because like I was saying earlier, before we started recording, most Saturday School teachers have other jobs. Everyone's doing this on the side. Uh, So we got busy. I feel like in real Saturday School, I would start missing a lot of class during like track and cross country meet season. (laughs) Not that I did a lot of running (laughs) these last three months. Metaphorical running. Yeah, I did some metaphorical running. And sweating and chasing. Yeah, all metaphorical. (laughs) And winning. There were some wins. Well, Brian, you had a film festival. The 20th annual San Diego Asian Film Festival, of which we enlisted you as a juror. Yes. So we were both working for the film festival. I mean, one more than the other. (laughs) And then connected to the film festival, you also put together uh, Asian American Film Canon. The best Asian American films of the last 20 years, which ended up on the LA Times, which you also enlisted me for. Yeah, yeah, you're not giving yourself enough credit, probably, because I remember like reaching out to you months ago saying like, hey, this would be a cool project. And then I think you kind of gave me the indication that we should try the LA Times and see what happens. And so, yeah, this idea originally was very much aligned with what we do here at Saturday School, which is try to make the case that Asian American cinemas didn't just start with Crazy Rich Asians, but that there's a long history and it's really cool history and a lot, with a lot of films that can still excite people today. So I, I think on occasion of Crazy Rich Asians' big breakthrough, we decided to poll uh, a lot of Asian American critics, uh, film curators who work at other film festivals, people who've been observing the Asian American film scene for the last 20 years, and to just come up with a canon. And I know that canon is sort of a dangerous word, and people are, we, we know why canons suck, <laughs> but we find clever ways of creating alternative canons, like for instance, through Saturday School. Uh, but with this LA Times project, we 
polled people to see like what are the 20 greatest Asian American films of the last 20 years and I don't know it feels pretty authoritative to me we could certainly debate it and uh, people already have and that's great but it's a great starting point for for the mainstream and for you know students who are discovering Asian American cinema for the first time yeah definitely so you should look it up on the LA Times and also you should listen to one of our fellow potluck podcast collective podcasts they call me Bruce for their episode with you, where you talk about all this. And also it was great talking to them because both Phil Yu and Jeff Yang, who are the hosts of that show, were contributors to the poll. So I got to hear a little bit what was going on in their heads when they made their contributions. Um, yeah, great conversation. But yeah, now back to business, though. Back to serious Saturday school business. Serious, so serious this week. As we're getting back to thinking about Asian films and how they portray Asian America... We're into the 2000s now, and we're going to talk about the movie My Father from 2007. It's a South Korean film directed by Hwang Dong-hyuk, starring Daniel Henney and Kim Yong-chul. It's a movie that's actually based on a true story, inspired by a true story, I should say, about this Korean kid that was adopted by an American family, and then sort of in an attempt to look for his birth family, he enlists in the army and gets stationed in South Korea and then causes this kind of media frenzy when they find his father, but turns out he's a prisoner on death row. It happened around 2000 in real life. Yeah. So this film comes out in 2007. And around this time, Daniel Henney is gaining some fame, having starred on TV series like My Name is Kim Sang-soon. And he is well-known for being a mixed-race Korean-American actor-slash-model. So perhaps he's the perfect person to play this recognizable figure in Korean-American history. Perhaps he is. Yeah, because at this point, there was a documentary already made following the real guy, whose name is Aaron Bates. In the movie, they changed his name, so Daniel Honey plays a man named James Parker. But so I think in Korea, this is kind of well-known, because you can kind of imagine it made news. They were able to let the father out of prison just for this media event. And this is something that's depicted in the fictional film as well, where there's like all this media when he meets his father for the first time. And then they ask him to say, like, I love you, dad. Yeah, like hug your dad. In this very performative way, that was probably very awkward for somebody meeting his father for the very first time. Yeah. I mean, this is his fodder for really good melodrama. Yes, which the Korean industry is good at. Korean cinema is I would say, it's one of the best at. <laughs> and um, it's produced, distributed by Lotte Entertainment. They're one of the biggest studios in Korea. It got a ton of press. Like It won Daniel Henney a bunch of Best New Actor awards. Box office-wise, it was a success too. And then it sort of set off the career of director Hwang Dong-hyuk, who went on to make another hit called Silenced. And then the film that sent some tremors throughout Asian cinema, which is Miss Granny. Oh, I didn't realize he was the same person who made that. Yeah. And so you have all of this pizzazz, star power, studio resources to do this big. Yeah. And it's pretty effective. My name is James Parker. I was born in 1975 at an orphanage here in... I was left there when I was one year old by somebody named Gong Eun-ju. I'm stationed in the army here. I'm a soldier. 
came to find my parents. I remember watching it when it first came out, not in Korea, obviously, but it did come to America and it played in some film festivals here. But I think for us, we also had an awareness of Daniel Henney. But at this point, to be honest, we weren't sure how much he could act yet. I mean, we knew he was very good looking and we were really, really, really rooting for him. But then here's this movie he was getting some awards for it, and you watch it and you're just like, oh, I hope he can act. <laughs> yeah, because it's and unfairly and probably with a lot of delusion about how things actually work. We were hoping that someone like him could represent a generation of Asian American actors who have sex appeal, star charisma. And of course, it would require acting skills. So we knew he had the on-screen charisma because he can hold his own with Gwyneth Paltrow, who were in these commercials with him. Right, right. And we knew he had that magnetic like, sex appeal. And I'm like, all right, if he can act, the trifecta is there. He looks like a leading man, but can he carry a movie? And those of you who have been listening to Saturday School, you know that last season we covered Asian Americans in Asia. So we covered his other film, Shanghai Calling, his Asian American comedy. But this was a good five years before that. And this was also before he got a role in X-Men. So it's really, I think, kind of an instructive contrast between his performance in My Father and his performance in Shanghai Calling. He does a really good job in My Father, and all these awards in Korea are attest to that. But he's definitely acting in a Korean mode. Like, they have him acting as a Korean actor might, as opposed to in Shanghai Calling, where it feels like an American rom-com. In My Father, he, he gets to do a lot of, <laughs> I think Americans would watch and say, like, this is a little campy. Like, it's a little... Melodrama. Over- it's, yeah, it's, like, it's melodramatic, but it's also, like, cutesy. There's a scene where he is visiting his father who is in jail. So he only gets to talk to him through this window. They're like mentioning superheroes or something. And then Daniel Henney is like miming all these different superheroes in a very cutesy, cheesy way. I mean, I think we, as Americans, we'd find it cheesy. But like in Korea, like this is just like, oh man, this James Parker slash Daniel Henney is, is, is such a sweet son. Or he's like somebody you'd want, to, you'd want him to be or your, your sweet boyfriend or something. Yeah, and I mean, there's like so much crying. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so maybe that's another thing too. You don't see like that in Hollywood so much, that kind of melodramatic tearing. And it's so sincere. Yeah. It's constantly sincere. And to the point where sometimes you just have to think like, are they are they kidding? Like, like for instance, as a Korean American or as an American, he becomes the rock and roll star. <laughs> like There's a scene where the army, they're putting on some kind of musical show and you see like Daniel Henney on stage with his cap turned sideways and he's singing this rock and roll which is like not even like rock and roll circa in the 90s or 2000s it it feels (laughs) like some strange like 1950s rockabilly meets like 1980s beats and it just seems like like very anachronistic in a way that as Americans we're just we think Korea doesn't understand true American music but they don't care and so it's different than what we saw from Shanghai Calling. So to the extent that Daniel Henney was this like savior that was going to come <laughs> like, like bring Asian American acting to the forefront, like my father doesn't quite satisfy that either in terms of like, could this translate into Hollywood success? I mean, I don't know about that, to be honest. I definitely saw it as something like, oh, he can come here. The door was open for him. You, you were holding that door open longer than anybody else. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's not true. <laughs> There's an official USA fan blog, Hermosa USA. Ah, yes. That, 
has carried the torch longer and harder and brighter than I ever could. Right. So, and then so to me, this also contrast then with like what we were saying a few episodes ago with Gen X and Gen Y cops, which is a similar like a big Hong Kong production where they're incorporating Asian American actors and Asian American characters into this police crime universe. But in those movies, you get the sense that these Chinese American, Chinese Canadian actors like Edison Chen were just like too cool for this movie. Like they did not want to play along. And it leads to like the ridiculousness that is a movie called Gen Y Cops. But with Daniel Henney, you get the sense that he wants to play along. He's willing to stylistically just like, you know, fit the Korean cinematic and cultural vernacular. Yeah, he's very respectful. Very, very, yeah. And I think that speaks to also a different way of thinking about adoption stories. Mm. Last season, we also mentioned the film First Person Plural, uh, which I think is the only adoption movie we've really talked about. That's a documentary directed by Diane Borchet about a Korean-American adoptee who goes back to Korea to uncover, sort of to, uh, truly trace the footsteps through which she came to become American. And with a film like that, like from the Asian-American perspective, you see how the adoption process from Korea to the United States is fraught with difficulty and that are going to be forever unresolvable. And going to Korea wasn't this huge, ah, I'm home now. Whereas in My Father, it isn't exactly smooth, but it feels like a huge warm embrace that he's entering into in Korea. That to me is a very significant difference between what we're doing with this season with films made by Asian filmmakers about Asian Americans with what we did last season, which were kind of Asian American perspectives on going to Asia. Yeah, so he's stationed in Korea and there's both the American army and the Korean army. And he's put with a roommate who's Korean. And I think this is based on real life, based on interviews that Aaron Bates has done. But it's kind of interesting because you see the hijinks that happen in the army. And there's this little like fratty, sporty rivalry between the Americans and the Koreans. Like when they're doing all their like workouts and stuff. Get off the court. We had it reserved a week ago for our game. We'll be finished in 10 minutes. Nope. I've already worked up a sweat. And very quickly, even though Daniel Henney, a Korean-American, is he's technically part of the American army, he's seen and he kind of integrates himself in the Korean army because he wants to learn more about Korean culture and the Koreans always root for him. James, I don't want to spend my last year at the U.S. base. I'm sick of Americans. They're like, except for you, because you're Korean. <laughs> That's kind of an interesting thing. They straight up call him a Korean hero. I would imagine, like, for actual Korean American, that is a hard pill to swallow. I mean, it might be nice to feel embraced and to feel included, but it's also like, mm, but that kind of goes against everything that I grew up with. Part of the way it makes that case to the audience is there's an early scene where Daniel Haney's character and then his white fellow military people are going to the streets of Korea and these white GIs are trying to pick up these Korean girls. Catcalling them. Yeah, yeah, catcalling them. Hey cutie pies, you wanna have some fun with a soldier tonight? Hey, I'm talking to you. Gabe, <laughs> cut that shit off. It doesn't matter, they don't know what I'm saying anyway. And then Daniel Henney's character stands up for the woman. And to us as audience, kind of regardless of where you're from, you're like, yeah, of course, because that's disgusting behavior. But immediately we see him care about the honor of these Korean women in a way that the white American military folks did not in the scene. Mm -hmm. And so us as an audience, we already are kind of rooting for his Koreanness, or at least his like willingness to, to see things from a Korean perspective. 
they definitely set up his relationships with his Korean friends much better than any of the relationships with his American ones. Definitely. And I think in those like hijinky moments, those also felt very Korean to me, like in terms of the Korean comedy hijinks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, so, so immediately that this is the kind of guy he is. And he fits right on in. His Korean assimilation does not seem fraught with a whole lot of friction. No, not at all. He's taking Korean classes, like the language classes, and he wants to integrate. And it's in the name of being able to speak to his father, which is like a beautiful, I mean, obviously very melodramatic gesture. But we totally buy it when we're watching it. Even though a film like First Person Plural told us it doesn't work that way exactly. It's not so easy. <laughs> and, maybe, and you might not even want it in that way. I mean, every, every Korean adoptee is different. But this, to me, definitely feels like it's part of a romance Korea is having with its Korean adoptees around the world. Oh, yeah, it is very romantic. <laughs> yeah, Daniel Henney seducing Korea and vice versa. Like, Korea is sort of trying to seduce Daniel Henney back. Like, come back here. You can be one of us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so this becomes complicated because well, for the first half of the film, and I don't think I'm spoiling too much, James Parker's dad, who was on death row, is made out to be this totally, almost like an innocent figure, even though he's on death row. You get the sense that he's a good man. He's Christian. He has good relationships with his cellmates. Um, he's potentially innocent, although we're not quite sure what to make of that. Mm-hmm. And he seems like he wants to be a good father. Mm-hmm. And he almost seems like he's always been committed to James Parker's mom. No matter how things turned out, like he's still in love with her. And so all these things are making him out to be this like, good Korean man. So, I mean, it's set up, and I think this is based on real life as well, where it took him a while to actually reach out to his son because he was just embarrassed. Especially in the film, he emphasizes that he did reach out because he wanted to explain to his son that they didn't purposefully, like, abandon him or anything. Deanne Borchet's new documentary called Geographies of Kinship, which is an incredible film, uh, and possibly her best film to date, is really having us think critically about the politics and economics between the U.S. and Korea with Korean adoption. Like... Who stood to make money off of babies? And what were like the geopolitics and Cold War politics involved in this very strange transaction between Korea and the United States? I think that Korea is in some ways culpable in the phenomenon of Korean adoptees around the world. And so by making this father who had to give up his son to adoption be this innocent figure, I think it's also Korea reckoning with its own culpability and maybe trying to exonerate itself a little bit and this very heartwarming embrace of the adoption community around the world. Through this death row character, in the end, you sort of have to reckon with this idea that he has done wrong. It does get complicated. Yeah. It, it does kind of address guilt, but it's a very clean ending. It's yeah. a very clean ending with answers. And then the ending of the film, like over the credits, you get images of the real James Parker. Aaron Bates. Aaron Bates, yeah. So fact and fiction all come together in this neat package that just makes you feel good about the whole situation. Or, or rather, like, these internal conflicts people have can get resolved. Or at least people can move forward in a very, very positive, with a lot of, like, cultural unity in the heart. And everything feels okay. Which, I think it's easy to say that that's not quite the reality. But it's interesting to me that... This is the direction that Korean cinema is taking to understanding overseas Koreans. Oh my darling, oh my lover, tell me that there is no other cuz I love you with my heart. Oh 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 oh, don't you know I love you, love you so- 
Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that feature stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our logo is by Grace Talis Lee. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beats. Check out our website at SaturdaySchoolPodcast.com or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. And the podcast Twitter handle is Wake Up Set School. Next week, your assignment is to watch the 2017 film Love is a Broadway Hit. Class dismissed.